If you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3, Galatians 3, and we're going to be looking at at verses 6 to 14. We'll read verses 1 to 14, but we're we're going to focus uh, particularly in on 6 to 14 as we look through at 1 through 6 last week. We're going to continue in our series here on Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one uh, little two probably white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, turn to page 566, and that'll get you where you need to go. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. Um, If you would, take a moment. We have something called a Connect card that's attached to the bulletin that you received when you walked in this morning. Uh, And that's just a good way for us to get connected with you and get you um, connected with what God is doing here at at our church family uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, And and, uh, there's also a little space on there for prayer requests that we'd love to have you fill out. Jot a few things down there. We'd love to know how we can be praying for you this week and and, uh, take your needs before the Lord. If you would take a moment to do that. All right, Galatians 3, 6 through 14. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, we're going to read 1 through 14 and then focus directly in on 6 through 14 for our sermon text this morning. Let's listen to God's word. Let's listen with reverence and joy for this is the voice of our Lord. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "...in you shall all the nations be blessed." So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful text that we have here this morning in front of us. Would you? Uh, Give us eyes to see, to behold Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Would you help us now to to believe truly in our hearts that you've raised Him from the dead? And would you help us to rest in the justification that He brings? Lord, would you give us um, a feeling sense of the forgiveness, of the justification that we have in Christ now as we look into your word? Would you let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight? Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. 
So all across the city of Dayton right now, there are children in Sunday school uh, gathering and singing some of the most profound words that you could imagine. Uh, Some of you know the song. Uh, It's a little Sunday school ditty. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That, that's a wonderful, wonderful song. I remember singing that song in Sunday school growing up with just vigor, just passionately singing, intensely marching, and not having any earthly idea what I was singing about. Um, and now the Galatians, they were most certainly interested in what it meant to be children of Abraham and, and what it meant to receive the blessing of Abraham. In fact, you could say that the entire letter of uh, Paul's letter to, to the Galatians, is the whole debacle of what this was all about is really about answering the question uh, surrounding who obtained the blessing of Abraham, who were the children of Abraham, and how they received this blessing. Uh, but you know, so, this is also not just some ancient interest that the Galatians had and the Judaizers had and Paul had. This is a very relevant um, interest to our life and our witness today as followers of Jesus. In fact, the three most dominant religions uh, in the world, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, uh, what's often referred to as the Abrahamic religions, uh, all uh, have a vested interest uh, in what it means to be children of Abraham. That's over half of the world's population, over half of the 7.2 billion people that populate our world have a vested interest in what it means to be children of Abraham and have a vested interest in what it means to be, have the the blessing of Abraham. But here's where the Christian message is utterly unique. There's absolutely nothing like it. We proclaim and believe that to be truly blessed, the way to be truly blessed, the way to be a child of Abraham, the way to receive the blessing of God is not being born into a particular nationality, is not uh, by altering your private parts, is not by doing, uh, entering into a merit-based system wherein you earn your keep, is not by doing the works of law, has nothing to do with you or what you do at all. Not at all. Rather, God's blessing, according to the scriptures, according to what Paul says here in his letter to the Galatians, is not merited, is not earned based on anything that we are or can do at all. The blessing of Abraham, this is a blessing simply given to those who believe on Jesus Christ, who believe the gospel. And what is this blessing? This blessing is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. The blessing of being justified before God. The blessing of being justified before God. The blessing of being righteous in God's sight and being accepted by Him. We saw Paul talk about this in Galatians 2, 15 through 21. He talked about how he and Peter, although they were Jews who knew the law, knew the promises, were part of the covenant, they still received this blessing through faith. Uh, and, and that was kind of Paul telling his personal story. And then Dan wonderfully walked us through that text. It was wonderful. And then last week, we saw how Paul reminded the Galatians how they received this blessing. In, in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, he reminded the Galatians of their own story. And this morning, we're going to look at how Paul says, this is not just my story. This is not just your story, Galatians. This is the story of biblical history. The, the Old Testament scriptures witness to the fact that it has always been and will always be justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and never by works of the law. We see this when we look to Abraham, who's the father of our faith. 
And we see this when we even look at the law itself. The, the covenant of the law bears witness to the fact that it does not save, it cannot save, and will not save anyone who seeks to be saved by keeping it. The Old Testament scriptures themselves bear witness to the fact that, and this is our kind of big idea for the morning, they bear witness to this, you who have faith in Christ are justified before God because Christ bore the curse of the law on the cross for you. So you who have faith in Christ are justified before God because Christ bore the curse of the law on the cross for you. And we'll unpack that by looking at the blessing, the curse, and why it matters. First, the blessing. We see that the book of Genesis, uh, it, what it says about Abraham, bears witness to the reality that, that we are justified through faith alone. Paul writes, Does he who supplies the Spirit among you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. In the scripture, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now again, there's no doubt the Judaizers, the Galatians, they had a vested interest in the blessing of Abraham, as we all should. Because the blessing of Abraham takes this into consideration. It answers this question, who does God accept and on what basis? Who does God accept and on what basis? That's what this entire letter is addressing. All this fuss is really about deciding who can say they've been accepted by God and what is the basis? What, 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 what is the basis for their being able to say that? And the way that the Judaizers, the, the group who is preaching this false gospel to the Galatians and deceiving the Galatians, the way that they would have answered that question to the Galatians here is that God accepts those who are Jewish or those who convert to Judaism uh, through circumcision, and the, he accepts them on the basis that they are obedient to the Mosaic law with all of its commandments and ceremonies. They, they kind of blended that with the message of the gospel. They said it's that plus Jesus. And to make their case, they probably took the Galatians to Genesis 17, where we see that Abraham himself is circumcised, becomes Jewish. And the argument probably went something like this. To, to be a true Christian and, and, and to be a child of Abraham, uh, is, is what you need to do is, is that you need to become, uh, have cir be circumcised and keep the holy law in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ. You, you need to be circumcised, keep the holy law in addition to having faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham was circumcised, therefore, to be sons of Abraham and thus true Christians. You need to do so as well. Um, and, and to this, Paul responds, have you fools even read Genesis? Have you read the story of Abraham, and then he takes them to school. He takes them to Genesis 15, 6, where we see that before Abraham was even circumcised, before he even knew that God would have him be circumcised, before, at a time when he was still a Chaldean, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness, so he was justified through faith alone. If you read Abraham's story in Genesis 12 to 25, you see that God makes a lot of promises to Abraham, continually just heaping promise among promise to Abraham. He said that he will give Abraham a land and he will, uh, that a great nation will come from Abraham's loins and that all the nations will be blessed through him and that the Christ will come through the line of Abraham and that every people from every nation will, will be blessed through him. And, and, and even though Abraham doesn't own any property, and even though Abraham doesn't have any children, and he's like, he's super old. 
Like he can't, he's really old, way too old to have children. Even though this is all true, he believes God. He trusts God. And because Abraham believed God, because he believed God's promise, because he believed in the Christ who would come from his loins, Abraham was justified. He was counted righteous. He was declared to be righteous before God by God. And the thing is, it took place before his circumcision, before he knew that he would have to be circumcised, before all of that took place before Genesis 17. Abraham, before Genesis 17, was called. God makes his promise. Abraham believes God and is counted righteous all because of it, all before Genesis 17 when he is circumcised, meaning that circumcision added nothing to his justification before God. Justification was a free gift given to Abraham through his faith, given simply through faith. And then Paul quotes Genesis 12, 3 to show us that this blessing, this blessing of justification before God is not only given to Abraham, but to any and all who have faith in Jesus. That He says that the scriptures foresaw that we Gentiles, we non-Jewish, pagan, foreigners, those of us who were strangers to the covenant of promise are going to be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And so foreseeing this, God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand in Genesis 12, 3, by telling him that people from any and all nations would be justified, not through their lineage, not through their works, not through the alteration of their private parts, but simply through faith in Christ. Therefore, Paul says, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Just like Abraham, we are counted righteous, declared righteous. We are justified by God through faith alone. That is the blessing of Abraham. Now remember our definition of justification from last week. It's it's essential that we're on the same page as we use the the word justification a lot. Uh, We've been using it a lot. We're going to continue to use it a lot over the next several months. And so what I mean when I say that you are justified, Christian, what I mean and what the Bible means is that you are counted as righteous You are counted as righteous before God by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in and because Christ alone. So you are counted as righteous, and I should say, with the very righteousness of Christ. You are counted righteous. You are counted righteous with the very righteousness of Christ by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in and because Christ alone. In other words... The God and judge of the universe looks at you if you trust in Jesus and he says, I forgive you, you are acquitted, you are innocent in my sight. And not only that, not only are you forgiven and acquitted, but you are declared righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. He declares you to be righteous so that it's not just that you're like brought up to some neutral place. It's not like you were just in like your bank account, negative, negative, negative. You're low, way below negative, and then God forgives you and you're brought up to zero. No, Christ's righteousness is transferred into your account. So you were way, way, way in the negative. Some of you college students can identify with that. You're way, way, way in the negative. But now Christ's righteousness, his goodness, his perfection is accounted toward you. And because of that, you have the blessing of Abraham. God's smile is on you. You were under his wrath, but now you have peace with him. him, And he looks at you 
beaming with affection and says, my child, I love you, my beloved, I am for you, you are mine. So that no matter who you are or what you've done, no matter your race or your socioeconomic status or your sex or your age or your past, you are welcome. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The blessing of Abraham is the divine welcome to people with a past. He says, come, you are mine, you are welcome. If you come to God with the broken pieces of your life, you are welcome. If you come to him and you throw yourself on his pure mercy, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what, he says you are forgiven, you are accepted. You are accepted. And this acceptance, this forgiveness is completely free. It's eternally secure. It is absolutely full. It's it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. And so, so hard that we kind of continually push back against it in our hearts. Some of you are are pushing back against this in your hearts right now. Some of you are are kind of pushing back now in your hearts. Some of you right now, you're you're having trouble believing this. You know, yeah, I did this horrible, horrible thing in my past, though. It's unforgivable. And God says, all is forgiven. Yeah, but, but you don't understand. You don't understand this, this, these awful, awful things that I've done. God says it is forgiven. Or maybe this is, this is not even in the distant past. Maybe it's this week. Maybe you've done something awful this week, this awful, awful thing. It is forgiven. God says it is forgiven. All is forgiven in full freely, fully, eternally forgiven, the life, the death, the resurrection, the righteousness of Jesus is enough to completely cover all of your deficiencies and all your sins. He's got you covered. So who does God accept and on what basis? God accepts anyone who trusts in him on the basis of the person and work of Jesus. That's it. That's the blessing. That's the good news. But Paul goes on to not only talk about this wonderful blessing, but also the curse. The curse. Most of us are very familiar with God being a God of blessing. You know, we often use language like this in prayer, praying, Lord, please bless mommy and daddy and bless me as I go about my day and bless our church and our city and so on and so forth. And we even say this when someone sneezes, say, God bless you. It's all well and good because God is a God of abundant and merciful blessing. It's good. And that's why we end every gathering here at Veritas with a, with a benediction, a blessing for the road as you go, because God is a God of blessing. He blesses us. And as we just spent time looking at, God is a, is a God who loves to give His abundant blessing. He, he gives in abundance because He's a God of blessing, but He's also a God of cursing. We see this in Genesis 3, when God pronounces a curse on humanity and his creation because of the rebellion and treason of Adam and Eve. And we see that God is a God of cursing clearly and potently in his holy law. Paul continues here in verse 10. If you would look at your scriptures, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So let's stop there for a moment. Now, Paul, 
He had initially come to them preaching this, this message of blessing, uh, the blessing of justification through faith alone, and he came to the Galatians, and he told them that all they had to do to receive this blessing of being accepted and, and forgiven by God is to trust in Christ. And the Judaizers, again, had come and, and told them, yes, 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 you need to trust in Christ. That's true, but you also need to keep the law. You also need to do the works of the law. And their argument probably sounded very logical because the, the law is good, right? The law is good. Yes, of course, God gave the law. The law is good. Of course, the law is good. Therefore, if you obey the law and keep it, God will be happy with you. Therefore, those who keep the law are the ones who receive God's blessing. So, so Paul, if the law is good, shouldn't we keep the law and obey the law in order to receive God's blessing? And notice what Paul says here, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And he tells them why. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So this is why we don't get God's blessing through works of the law. No one, not anyone, abides by all things written in the book of the law. Not even close. In other words, yes, yes, in theory, those who keep the law will receive God's blessing. Those who obey the law perfectly and from the heart will get God's blessing. Those who keep the law will live. Those who uh, keep the law are declared righteous by God. But here's the major issue with this. No one keeps the law. No one keeps the law. No one abides by all the things written in the book of the law and does them not even close some of you guys remember, we went through a series in the, in the Ten Commandments. We spent 11 weeks in the Ten Commandments a few months ago. And we went through each one, one by one, we went through the Ten Commandments. And they, they kind of, the, the Ten Commandments are kind of summary of the entire law. And, and we went through, we unpacked each commandment. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you, you should worship no one or nothing else other than the one true God. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourselves carved images. You should not seek a mediator, uh, any other mediator other than the one that God provides in Christ. Uh, the third one, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You should honor and revere God's name. The fourth, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You should be faithful to rest and, and honor the Lord on his day every week. Uh, the fifth commandment, you should honor your father and mother. Show weight to your parents. Show reverence. Show preference to your parents. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Seventh, you shall not commit adultery. Eighth, you shall not steal. Ninth, you shall not bear false witness or you shall not lie. Tenth, you shall not covet. You should be content and thankful with what God gives you. These are the Ten Commandments. And remember, we ended this series with spending a time reflecting on how if this is what God requires of us, none of us are left standing. No one is left standing. No one has measured up to the perfect standard of God's law. We, each one of us, each have broken each of these commandments, either by letter or in spirit, especially when we see Jesus come and expound on these commandments some in the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen the sixth commandment to not murder. We see that and we go, I'm, I'm good on that one, got that one down, never murdered anybody, check. But Christ said that if anyone insults or curses or nurses resentment against his neighbor or is unjustly angry with his neighbor, he is guilty of murdering in his heart. Or we look at the seventh commandment, to not commit adultery. We go, got that, 
got it down, never committed adultery in my life. But Christ said that if you even look at another person with lustful intent, you are guilty of committing adultery in your heart. You stand condemned by God. So I ask you, have you kept these commandments? No. No, no one can say that we have kept God's holy law. Each and every single one of us break God's holy law in thought or in word or in deed. We are lawbreakers. We break the law. And not just in our actions, but in our thoughts and in our intentions and in our affections and our desires. We break God's law repeatedly and flagrantly and without ceasing. Therefore, we are under the curse and damnation of God. We stand condemned. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That word everyone here really ends up being everyone. Everyone, because no one abides by the law, no one does the law, no one obeys the law perfectly or even close to perfectly. Everyone disobeys God, commits cosmic treason against him, rebels against his goodwill, everyone except one person. There actually was one who obeyed the law perfectly, Christ God in the flesh was born under the law and he was perfectly righteous, meaning that he kept God's holy law. He obeyed it in letter and in spirit and all of his intentions and infections and, 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 and uh, all of his, his desires. He kept God's law. He is righteous and he stands before God as one who can say, I have obeyed. I have kept my hands clean. I am righteous. And here's where the good news comes in. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So follow Paul's argument here. None of us have kept the law, so how can the justice and the curse of God be accounted for? How can God remain just and we receive the blessing of Abraham instead of the curse of the law? How can we receive the blessing of God if, if indeed we are under the curse of God as lawbreakers? Paul says the perfect son of God, Christ, came from heaven to be one of us and he perfectly kept the law but then he died a cursed death on a tree so that we would be justified and righteous before God. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23 to prove his point. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ was hanged on a tree. He died on a tree. He was cursed so that we would receive the blessing that, we, that he deserved. This is what the reformers called the great exchange or the joyful exchange. We exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness. We exchange our guilt for his perfection. We exchange God's wrath for his acceptance. We exchange our shame for his goodness. We exchange the curse for the blessing. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 describes the same when Paul says, For God, for our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that it in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
He became sin. He became the curse. He took on the curse of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, so that we might take on his righteousness and receive what he deserved, namely the blessing of God, the smile of God, the wholehearted acceptance of God. And how does this happen? Look at these three words here in verse 14, three of my favorite words in the whole Bible. This happens in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Jesus. This blessing comes to us in Christ. In other words, this blessing comes to us in our union with Jesus. This blessing comes to those who through faith in Christ are made one with Christ. The theological term used to describe this is union with Christ. What's actually really seems to be the centerpiece of all the Apostle Paul's theology. If if you become familiar with it, you start to see it everywhere in the Apostle Paul's letters. This is the crown jewel, so to speak, union with Christ. And to illustrate how this blessing comes to us in our union with Christ, the Reformers used to tell a story. They used to tell a story where this great king who represents Jesus falls in love with and marries a poor girl of ill repute, this, this poor prostitute representing us. And at their wedding, they would say their vows to one another. She would say to him, all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. And at that moment, he would take all of her debt and poverty and shame. But then he would say, all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. And at that moment, she would take on all of his riches and power and position, all that he has and all that he is, she can boldly claim for her own from this point onward. And so it is with our great Savior and in this great exchange here. He comes, he takes on all of our guilt and shame and the wrath of God and the curse of the cross, but he shares with us his righteousness and his blessing. This is how we're justified before God. This is how we can stand before God as people who are righteous, not bearing a righteousness that is our own, but Christ's righteousness through our faith in him, all that he is and all that he has, we can boldly claim as our own before God. We get the blessing because he took on the curse. We are counted righteous because on the tree he took our sin. And now very quickly, because we're running out of time, why does this all matter? Really, we could answer this question in many ways, and hopefully we'll continue to do so as we walk through Paul's letter to the Galatians, but just a couple of reasons why this matters. First, the blessing of justification through faith alone gives true freedom. The blessing of justification through faith alone gives true freedom. Justification speaks to the basic impulse of the human heart that something is not right between us and Christ, or between us and God. But when we're justified through faith, we're good with God. We're okay with God. We're better than okay with God. And that sets us free. That that sets us free from performance-based religion. We are free to be open and honest about our sin with God and with one another. We have no need to wear masks and to pretend to be something we're not. We can live in the freedom this week. We can live in this freedom of just confessing our sin, confessing our sin to to, to our spouses and our friends, confessing our our sin to our cohorts and our, our roommates, confessing sin, walking in this freedom of justification that is given in Christ, that that stuff doesn't define you. 
That doesn't define you. What defines you is the declaration that God has spoken over you that you are righteous. Celebrate that this week by confessing your sin and showing that it's powerless to condemn you. It sets us free from the compulsive need for approval. God's declaration over you is that you are righteous and therefore accepted. And his opinion is really the only one that actually matters. Therefore, you are free from the need to be accepted by others based on your looks or your smarts or your accomplishments or your goodness or your success or or whatever it is, you name it. You can let go of your obsession with how others view you and be satisfied with what God says about you and how God views you. And concerning evangelism, like you are free to share the gospel with others without being crippled by fear of what they'll think of you. And this, also, this goes both ways, too. This applies to how we accept others as well. If God accepts us by grace alone, do we accept others in the same way? Are your friendships based on performance? Is your marriage contentious because you're expecting too much from your spouse? Husbands, do you express gratitude and affection for your wives or do you critique them when you think they don't measure up? Wives, do do you require that your husbands justify themselves to you through their usefulness? And what other relationships in the church as well? Do, Do we expect others to be useful to us and others to prove their worth to us or do we serve and pour ourselves out for them because we've been so tremendously served in Christ. Romans 15, 7, Paul says to this local church in Rome, welcome one another, welcome one another, accept one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. And time won't permit for us to tell all the ways that we're set free through this justification. We're free from fear of judgment. We're free from the terrors of our conscience. We're free to rest and relax and take a day off. We're we're free Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set you free. We're free. And secondly, the blessing of justification through faith alone leads you to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Psalm 67.1-2 talks about how the blessing, talks about the blessing of Abraham and what it leads to. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Listen, that, so that, may God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face shine upon us, so that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. And so we're not simply blessed to to sit idly and keep this blessing to ourselves. We're blessed to tell the world that they can get in on this too. They can get in on this To anyone from any nation, from any background, no matter what they've done, no matter how heinous, they can get in on this. And to get more particular regarding East Dayton, the addict can get in on this. The refugee can get in on this. The hipster, even the hipster can get in on this. The the drug dealer, the the elitist snob, the slumlord, the the prostitute can get in on this. Even the Christian, even a good Christian can get in on this. Even you can get in on this. All can be blessed. All can be justified simply through faith in Jesus Christ. Christians, you are blessed. You are justified. Your sins are forgiven. You have the, the blessing of Abraham. Now go tell the world how they can get in on this. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for this wonderful blessing, this abundant blessing, this merciful blessing of the abounding grace and love and forgiveness, justification in Jesus Christ. Would you help us to rest in it, to enjoy it, and to tell others how they can get in on it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now as we enter into a time of communion, we remember our position in Christ. We are seated in heaven with Christ Jesus, one with him. And, and that symbolizes we take the bread and we ingest the bread and the bread goes into us and the, the, the cup goes into us, the, the, the liquid goes into us, uh, symbolizing the, the body and the blood of Jesus going into us. It symbolizes our union with Christ, that we are one with him, that we are seated with him in heaven and that God overwhelmingly forgives us and accepts us in him. And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus and been baptized as a Christian, we ask that you not come forward to receive this meal. Uh, we hope you feel welcome to all the other things that we do as a church family, but this is the one thing we ask you not to take part in because we believe that this meal is a weighty and glorious event wherein we meet with Jesus, the, the, the Savior, the, uh, the, the justifier of the inexcusable. And so it's a meal for Christians that believe in Jesus, that believe that he died and rose again, that he will come again, and who personally appropriate those historical realities. And so if that's not you, we, we ask that you just simply stay in your seat, Watch what's going to take place here because we believe that this meal proclaims the mystery of our faith, that Christ died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And now, um, this is also a time that if you've brought a financial gift, you can drop it in the bucket here uh, or in the black box on the welcome table after the gathering. Uh, for those of you coming forward, uh, we're kind of doing this in a little bit of a new way. Uh, typically, we've just come, off, come up and tore off a piece of the bread and dipped it in a cup, but uh, now we're, we've kind of changed things up.